This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Encounter with God here on Faith FM, where we get into our Bible study for the day. And before we do, the quiz has not yet been answered. Not that means yet, no. there is going to be another clue. So we're looking for somebody who lived in Jericho who was told to cheer up by Jesus and to shut up by everybody else. Who might that Indeed. be if you know the answer? Our number is 1-800-324-843, or you can text us on 0491-064-669. Our next clue is... I was a beggar whose name meant son of Timaeus. Okay, the son of Timaeus. Who was the son of Timaeus, if you know the answer? And this person was making their living by being a beggar on the street. There you go. So if you know the answer, give us a call at 1-800-324-843, or you can send us a text at 0491 Okay, so before we get into our Bible study of the day, a quick reminder that we have coming up this Saturday morning between 9.30 and 10.30, small group Bible study happening right here. Um, on Faith FM and that will be with uh, Matt Parrott and myself. We invite you to all to join us and to take part. It's an interactive Bible study. Okay, what have you got for us there, Liam? Oh, uh, there's also uh, another uh, program that is coming and there have coming up uh, that is beginning uh, next Sunday, I believe, Sunday the 10th of May. And this program, we had uh, Matt Parrott last week as well and Sharissa come in and, and speak about it. And it is the end program. The end. The end. So this program is, is sort of uh, giving a little, shedding a little bit of light on, on what we can expect in the end times. It might answer a couple of the questions that you've had. It'll be on Facebook. Um, and there, there's a website as well. The website is theend.digital. If you want to go there to find all the information you need for that. And do you know what the Facebook page is? Uh, the end, did you, no, the end something or other. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, anyway, just go to theend.digital and you'll find all yeah. the details you need. That's probably the best place to go at the moment. Um, of course, I'll be presenting there along with Sharissa Tarosian. And so, yeah, don't miss that one. Whatever you do, it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to Encounter with God this morning, the uh, the topic for today's lesson is translation and interpretation. That's right. Absolutely. I love this one. So this because one, I've I have, actually... I have the best translation. And I've, this is, I've had a number of questions regarding this, and I think, this, I think today's Bible study is going Ooh, to answer a number of those questions. Okay, okay, okay. I might have to... Um, yeah, yeah, all right, all right, let's, let's bring it on. Okay, so let's, why, why don't we just start with your questions? How about that? Okay, so there's the classic one. How do we know which version is the right version? And, you know, how do we know that the version that we, yeah, how do we know that the version that we're reading is the right version? Or, or how do we know which version is the right version of the Bible? Sure, absolutely. Uh, in which language? In, uh, I like to go with English. So. You, like the, you like the English language? I, yeah, naturally. I thought you might Well, like that to... brings another question. How do we know which language we should be reading it in? Should we be learning a different language to read it in a particular... Do, to... we need to, do we need to learn uh, Greek and Hebrew in an effort to be able to understand the Bible? I mean, this is what Islam how many, does. How many versions of the Greek Bible are there? How that's many versions a, of the Hebrew a, that's are That's a there? very good question. How many versions of the Torah and the, uh, the Quran are there? I'd assume there's only one. Well, there's only one of the Quran. 
one. Yeah, they're, they're super strict about that, uh, and you've really only got one of the Torah as well. The debate doesn't really start until you hit the New Testament. Yeah. So you've got one version of the of the Old Testament, the Hebrew and this, Chaldean Aramaic. For the uh, most part, the it's the same. There's no real debate over that because there is just kind of like one version. You know, there there's are, still subtle differences. There's subtle differences between, say, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the uh, Masoretic text, but it's a very, very subtle difference that you're going to find there. Nothing of any significance whatsoever at all. Whereas when you come to the New Testament, very different story. You're going to find um, countless different, you know, your Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, Alexandrinus texts that sort of agree with each other, and then you're going to find something like, say, for instance, your Stephen's text or Textus Receptus that are going to have whole portions of the Bible that you don't find in They're those other ones. Missing? No, no, the other ones are the ones that are missing. Oh, the, other the, the other one's missing. The other ones they've got, you know, whole, you know, like large portions of chapters, numerous verses that are just not there. Which makes for a most interesting discussion. Which which parts of the Bible should be there? Which parts shouldn't be there? Are okay, there, so there is are, the Bible that we've got? Is that the complete translation, or should there be more to it? Okay, so here's the here's the first thing that we need to note when it like comes I said, to reading the Bible. <laughs> Where the first thing that we need to note when it comes to reading the Bible is that um, read the Bible that you have in your home that is in a language that you can understand. Start there. Indeed. Because you can take the dodgiest translation that there is out there and still be led to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, and I am living testimony of that. I was not using a good translation when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Um, it is. A, I was using a translation that is, in my opinion, a very poor translation of the Bible. But it led me to Jesus and it led me to truth. And so God will use whatever you've got in your home. And that was the one that I had in my home. And that was the one that I started reading when I was 15 years old. Not the home, My home was very fancy, but I was basically homeless. Uh, but that's what I started when I, reading when I was 15 years old. And that is what resulted in transforming my life. Mm. So the most important thing to do is to read the Bible that you have. Now, of course, here in Australia, we have the luxury of speaking the English language. And because we have the luxury of speaking the English language, we have the luxury of a multitude of translations. And because we live in Australia, we have the luxury of wealth. And so that wealth means that we can own a multitude of translations. And so you can go down to your local Christian bookstore and you can you know, kind of buy whatever translation you want. You can even go down to any any book sh- bookstore and find a version of the Bible. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so when it comes to uh, well, let's 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 talk about translations versus paraphrases to begin with. Yes, a paraphrase is a commentary. Someone's read the Bible and said what they think about it. More or less, more or less, they have translated the Bible in such a way that they have translated the thoughts of the Bible rather than the words of the Bible. That's what a paraphrase is. And when you translate the thoughts of the Bible, as we discussed in our Bible study yesterday, avoiding presuppositions is impossible. Indeed. And so in any paraphrase, you're going to find a multitude of presuppositions. You're going to find a multitude of interpretations in the same way that you find interpretations in a commentary. Okay, so just uh, just a way to make it easier for me, and I'm assuming if we make it easier for me to understand, it might make it easier for other people to understand. When I read the weather in the morning, 
Yes. Am I translating it or am I uh, – is, is that a, a, my interpretation or is that a translation or is that uh, – what was the other one? Uh, you're just reading it. I'm just reading it. Yeah. When you read the weather in the morning, you're just reading the words. But I don't just read the words. I don't say it word for word. Okay. I adjust it and, and, and make it sort of my own thing. Yes. So I, I say the words that are written there and the numbers that are written there. Mm-hmm. But I do. Add okay, so extra you fill words. in you fill in the gaps to sort of you know you like you have that little phrase you know around the grounds and that kind of thing. Um, I make it my own to, to to fill in the gaps. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, but what it, what's important is that you have not changed what is important there. Okay. Now here's how a paraphrase works compared to a translation. Okay, a paraphrased version of the weather would mean that when you look at the weather and you see that it's going to be, say, 24 degrees in Newcastle, a high of 24 and a low of, say, 6 overnight, a paraphrase would say that we're going to have clear skies tonight, therefore the temperature is going to drop. Whereas the temperature might be dropping because of a cold blast of air coming up from Antarctica and you could have 6 degrees and cloud and rain. Now, it's much harder to get a lower temperature with cloud and rain than it is, than with, a, than it is with a clear sky. But a paraphrase takes the information that you have, the evidence that you have, and draws a conclusion from it. Starting to see it. the difference between oh, the two. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Okay, so you're going to have, 100%. You're going to have some translations yeah. that are like when you read the weather. Yeah. And that is, they stick as close to the actual words as possible while making it readable. Okay, so your KJV and your KJV, uh, those kind of Bibles are going to go down that path. Then you're going to have at the other extreme, say something like your, uh, you know, your clear word or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the message, I should say, the message. The clear word's not a Bible, but the message, uh, which is taking the ideas and putting the ideas down on paper, but they're actually the ideas of the person who is doing or the people who are doing the translation, rather than the words. And it could be right. Or it could very well be wrong. We just don't know with a paraphrase. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you don't ever read anything like that because we read non-inspired books, we read commentaries, uh, we read people's thoughts on the Bible all the time. And so there's nothing wrong with that. The important thing is that you don't use a paraphrase to prove doctrinal truth or to discover, I should say, doctrinal truth. If you're going to discover doctrinal truth, then you need to use a Bible that is, in, that is translating the words rather than the thoughts because then you are able to uh, gain your own thoughts through your own study from the words rather than somebody else's thoughts that have already been placed in there. That's why a paraphrase is not a Bible, it's a commentary. Yeah. It's very close to a Bible. Uh, but it is effectively a commentary. And we need to recognize it as such. It has its limitations. Mm. And we need to be students of the uh, of, of the Bible. And so I'd, I'd recommend everybody to uh, grab themselves a good quality, you know, NKJV is, is probably my favorite, of a Bible that has a philosophy, a translation philosophy of translating words rather than thoughts and leaving the thoughts up to the reader rather than creating the thoughts by the translator. My very first translation of the Bible, that I, my, my own Bible, was a New International Children's Translation back when I was younger. So it Which was is probably a p- 
paraphrase of an NIV. Probably, yes. So, that one, it was really, I don't want to say it was dumbed down, but it was it made it super duper clear. And the, Yeah, that would definitely <laughs> be a paraphrase. To give you an idea of what I thought about it, my favourite part of that Bible was that it had pictures in it. <laughs> well, you know, that's a children's Bible. You know, Indeed. That's, that's the beauty of a children's Bible. Indeed. I'd, I'd skip to those pages. There was four or five sections of that Bible that had about three pages per section where it was just pictures, and they were my favorite parts of the Bible. And I, the back of the Bible where it had the maps of, of where Paul went. They were my favorite. <laughs> okay, so on the subject of translations, for some reason, Australians love this subject. Yeah. That I'm always, you know, uh, from all over the world, I don't find as many people, even in the English-speaking world, who ask about, you know, the value of one translation over another more than Australians do. So we should delve into it, and I should give you all of the reasons why I love my King James Version. Let's go. Let's get into um, it. <laughs> Let's see what we can come up nah. with. But really what it comes down to, the argument kind of works like this. It's majority versus oldest. Mm. So when it comes, and we're talking about the New Testament, not the Old Testament, because our Old Testament, we have our, Dead sea, we have our Dead sea Scrolls. We have confirmation that this is the Bible that, was using, that Jesus was using in the time of Christ. Um, and if there was changes that needed to be made, Jesus would have made those changes when he was here. He would have indeed. The New Testament, of course, was penned after Jesus left earth, and it was interesting to see what was taking place because there's a bunch of people running around writing forgeries all over the place and writing them in the name of various apostles and uh, attempting to even change and edit the existing uh, gospels that were right there. And so a lot of people are like, wait a minute, what about all these other books? You know, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Judas, etc., etc., etc. Why aren't they included in the Bible? And those that are included in the Bible, why do we have such widely varying manuscripts? And why is it that there is so much you know, some significant disagreement between these manuscripts and which manuscript should we translate from? Mm. Okay, so the first argument kind of goes like this. Uh, you have your Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, Alexandrinus, um, a few other fragments that are very, 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 very old. These are coming from about the 4th century. Um, the Vaticanus, Sinaiticus are complete manuscripts. And so the argument there is that the older they are, the more accurate they are. So that's the argument for those. So the older they are, the closer they are to the original. Therefore, the less scribal errors have crept in. Yep. Then you have the other school of thought, which says, okay, but we have thousands. You know, you've got, you've, you've, Basically, we've got two complete manuscripts there, which are what we might class as Western manuscripts. And we've got thousands of Eastern manuscripts mm. that were preserved by the Greek church who spoke the Greek language. We're talking about the New Testament now. And they were preserved by the Eastern church and then, of course, later by Islam when Islam uh, invaded that whole region of Turkey and so forth where the Eastern church was located. It was preserved by Islam there. Uh, and we've got thousands of those, and they are in agreement with each other, but they are dis in disagreement with the Western ones. And so why would you take two manuscripts, or maybe four at the most, in preference to thousands of others? Mm. That, you know, okay, they're, they're 500 years newer, for sure, you know, going back to the oldest of those that are still in existence, 
but there are an awful lot of them out there. And so that's kind of where the argument comes down to and the two sides will argue backwards and forwards. I kind of, and this is my personal view. I'm going to give you my personal view. Uh My personal view is that it's not so much about which one is older, neither is it so much about which one is in the majority. For me as a historian, it's more about the pedigree Okay, so you, you, you've you got uh, this sequence of events that takes place in the Christian church in the lead up to, um, you know, your fourth century, really. Fourth and fifth century was a period of early Christianity where early Christianity was just basically flooded by paganism. Yeah. Uh, leading up to that, you can start. You can go back to the to the time of Justin Martyr. Now, Justin Martyr was a Gnostic philosopher. Gnosticism was an interesting religion that originated about. Um, and you, you got me started here on a rant this morning. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm, just, I'm loving it. I'm loving I'm it. I'm up and going. So, had no intention to go down this path, but we. So, are. Agno- so just to explain what ag- Gnostic what is. Gnostic is. Ag- agnostic is believing in an entity of of sort. If I'm no, an agnostic does not know. Does not know, yeah. Whether the God exists or not. Okay, yeah. An atheist knows that God does not exist. Yep. An agnostic does not know. Um, it's actually a much more honest kind of position than atheist. Um, a just, so Justin Martyr was a Gnostic. Now, Gnostic was uh, an Egyptian religion based on Greek philosophy that originated in the Egyptian city of Alexandria, which, of course, was a Greek center of learning in Egypt. It was a blend of uh, Egyptian religion, Greek philosophy, originated about 200 years before Christ. So does it have anything to do with agnosticism? It does, but we're not going to delve into that this morning. That's a different conversation. Different conversation. So he's a Gnostic. He's a pagan. He's a Gnostic philosopher. And, of course, the Gnostics accepted Jesus Christ and adopted him in as a part of their religion, but they never accepted the Jesus of the Bible or mm. the Jesus of reality. They yeah. had a very, very different Jesus. And so this is why your Gnostic Gospels like St. Thomas, Barnabas, Judas, uh, Mary Magdalene, etc., were never included in the New Testament because they were written by Gnostics and not by Christians. Um, he had a student by the name of Tatan. Now, Tatan was, you know, a full-blown pagan, Gnostic. But he put together... Um, a book, a Bible that was called a New Testament portion called the Diatessaron that was a um, a harmony of the Gospels, so all four Gospels in one. He had a student by the name of Clement of Alexandria. Now, Clement of Alexandria did proclaim himself to be a Christian, but this is a quote from Clement of Alexandria: "Christian teachings are to be clothed with the precepts of paganism." Mm. So this is the the time period in history where you know Sunday worship is coming in, uh, the adoration of Mary. She's being called the, the the Queen of Heaven and the Mother of God, you know. And and we could you know the use of holy water, and we could go on and on and on through all of these pagan uh, concepts that were creeping into the church: the immortality of the soul, the eternal hellfire. Um, we're all flooding into the church from paganism. He had a student by the name of Oregon. He wrote the Hexapla, which was an eight column Bible, um, and taught that. All of the scriptures, all of the Old Testament were an allegory. There was nothing in the Old Testament that actually ever happened or was real. These were just allegorical stories that the characteristics uh, were abstract. Um, And he invented the doctrine of purgatory out of thin air. Just invented it for the sake of having it. 
Um, he, of course, had a student by the name of Oregon and uh, – oh, sorry, Oregon had a good friend by the name of Eusebius, um, and it was Eusebius who put together the uh, Vaticanus Sinaiticus, which in 380 AD, Jerome translated into the Latin Vulgate. Now, when he did so, uh, the Waldenses, who were to the north, got very upset with him. We've got a bunch of uh, his defences against them because they accused him of using the corrupted manuscripts of Eusebius. Now, of course, it's those manuscripts, the Vaticanus Sinaiticus, that a lot of modern translations have translated today. So some modern translations kind of blend east and west. Most blend east and west. Some are east, some are west in their leaning. On the other side of the empire, in the east, you had a very different uh, series of events that was taking place, very different history. We're going to come back after we've listened to Caroline Cobb with Behold, Behold, Revelation, just after this. I see a city coming down Like a bride in whitest gown Purely dressed I see the pilgrims coming home All creation finds shalom The promised rest The Lamb of God will be her light The sun will have
Welcome back, everybody. That was Caroline Cobb with Behold, Behold, Revelation. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We have been talking about Bible translations. Oh, we're loving it. I'm Liam, loving it this Liam, morning. Liam got me sidetracked onto a history topic, and so you guys are getting history for breakfast this morning. That's okay. All right, so uh, we, we had a, someone answer our quiz. We did. Bill from Helena Valley in Western Australia answered correctly with Bartimaeus. He did indeed. So there we go. Congratulations to Bill. Yes. Okay, so uh, Christopher has texted in. He says, I started with the Good News Bible and now mainly use KJV, using concordance and other Bible versions to help understand the verses. Plus, when I share a Bible verse, uh, I pick the Bible version to suit that person. God bless from Christopher. So I think that's a good comment right there. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Christopher. Um, and I've, I've, in some ways, a, a, similar, a similar story to me. Um, I started out using one, you know, using uh, much more of a, a looser translation and went to a tighter one. Um, and some people ask why I use the old KJV, and that's kind of because I've used it since I was about, I don't know, since I was a teenager. And You've used it so much that you understand it now. Yeah, exactly. It, Whereas it takes I- about three weeks of reading the KJV to start to understand it um, or to, to actually fully be able to understand you know, 99.99% of it. There's always going to be one or two words that you're going to scratch your head over, but uh, it's a good pro- it's a good practice. It's easier than Shakespeare. See, I understand Shakespeare though, because for me, Shakespeare is is drama. Yes, and but the quality of the English in the, the KJV is much higher than Shakespeare. Yeah, which makes yeah. it easier to understand. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So anyway, um, so thank you for that, Christopher. And if, look, if, if you're at home and if, and you know you've got some thoughts or some comments and you'd like to to let us know how you're feeling or what Bible translations you read, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can either give us a call at one eight hundred three two four eight four three, or you can text us at zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And yeah, we'd we'd love to hear from you. We would indeed. Okay, so give us a call and we will put uh, we'll put you on air and you can have your conversation. There we go. Anyway, let's go to let's let's go to the east. We we talked about the west and uh, and I, I guess really the west is where a lot of corruptions came into Christianity. Indeed, you find a lot of them coming in from the east as well, but not at the same level um, or to the same extent. And from the east, you've got basically a large missionary center that was established at Antioch very, very early on in the history of Christianity. This was where Christians were first called Christians. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. And that was where they began to see the necessity of translating the Bible and spreading it out to the world. And so you got some some really early translations that came out of there, like the Celtic, the Syriac, the Gaulic, uh, the Italic, and the Greek Vulgate. And these came out around, you know, 150 AD, thereabouts. In the, in, in the 150s is when these translations started to come out and to be used in missionary endeavor around the world. And, of course, that's where we get 98% of the manuscripts that are still in existence today. Um, and so what you're going to find is that most modern translations will use both Eastern and Western manuscripts. Some, your, your, KJV, your KJV family of translations, um, use the Eastern manuscript exclusively. You find one or two that use the Western manuscript exclusively. And as a matter of pedigree, I just like the East better than the West because the West was really where, you know, we just got flooded with just so much paganism. And when I see portions of the Bible that are missing, you know, and this is just my opinion, 
uh, from my study of history. I think it's more likely that peop- that that portions were deleted than added, particularly when you compare. And this is the other thing that a lot of people miss is that when it comes to deciding whether a passage should be in the Bible or not, is not just about whether you find it in a manuscript. It's whether it was in common and regular usage by the church fathers. That's going to give you a lot of credibility as to whether it should be there or not. And so you're going to find a whole bunch of passages. I'll give you an example. You've got that passage, the famous one. Everybody's like, oh, this one shouldn't be in the Bible. Uh, you'll find it in your uh, KJV family of manuscripts, um, which is there are three that bear witness in heaven, bear record in heaven. And, of course, I don't know the answer to this. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one. And because it's not in a lot of manuscripts, people say it shouldn't be there. However, it is interesting that from the first century forward, you find it in regular use by the church fathers. Uh, they're quoting it as a part of Scripture. They're not questioning and they're not saying, you know, should this be here or not be here or otherwise. And so to me, that adds a tremendous amount of credibility for it to be there. Now, does it need to be there? No, because we can show that same uh, teaching anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it's not a difficult teaching to show. But, yeah, that's just, I guess that's my opinion. And everybody else has uh, their thoughts and their opinion on it. They're welcome to it. And everybody Absolutely. has their favorite translation. But I will say this. When you are discovering doctrinal truth, you can't use a paraphrase. No. Because paraphrase is just somebody's thoughts. No, yeah, that's right. And look, yeah. I, I do have a... It's a great devotional book. Yes. Um, you can use it like a commentary, but not as a Bible to discover, you know, doctrinal truth. I, I have a preferred uh, from both translations and... Uh, Paraphrase. Paraphrase. Yeah. Uh, my preferred translation is the one that I get to read here at Faith FM, and that is the, the New Living. It's just the way that it, it, uh, it presents itself. It, it appeals to me, you know, it's, it's, and I think it was designed for a younger audience from, uh, from what I've, I've heard about it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, the, the language is easy to understand, and it, it talks about, you know, things that, uh, you know, it just, yeah, it explains things in an easy way to, to, to explain things. So, and the wording isn't too complicated either, so I really appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, I've, I don't know whether, I mean, obviously translations of the Bible are the preferred reference for, um, for referring to the Bible. Um, but just in my own personal reading for, for, as you mentioned, devotions, I am, I'm yet to determine which I prefer, whether it's the, the paraphrase or the, um, or the translation, because they both provide something very, very different. Um, the, the the paraphrase that I read, it's 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 a lot more fun if you know it, it, the way that it, the the wording is it. It's the wording of it is it's a little more creative, and I think that might have been the intention when they came up with it uh, to to you know just talk about to, to use words that are creative and and. Okay, so here's a quick a quick question to uh, jump in on uh, before we finish up because it's an important one and we do need to uh, to look at what the Bible has to say about this. In some religions, like Islam, for instance, mm-hmm. they don't use translations. They only use the original Quran in Arabic. And so do we have, is there a biblical mandate for translating messages from God into other languages? 
And if you go to First Corinthians chapter 12, and there's actually a bunch of verses on this, but this is one that sort of jumps out to me. Verse 10, the Bible talks about you know, gifts of the Spirit, and it says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another uh, different kinds of languages, to another the interpretation or translation of languages. Why was the translation of languages important? The reason that the translation of languages was important uh, particularly for Paul, was that Paul was going to the Gentiles. He was going to a Greek-speaking, uh, primarily Greek-speaking world, and he had to use a translation of the Bible in Greek. And so the the Old Testament uh, was translated into Greek. Uh, the New Testament was primarily primarily written in Greek so that the whole world could access it. And so there's very much a biblical mandate by the writers of the Bible, and you find particularly Paul talking a lot about this, to translate the Bible or to translate the Word of God into other languages. This is Carol Robertson with One Pair of Hands. You're listening to The Breakfast Show.
our team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to share God's love with those around you, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Check on your neighbours, especially elderly neighbours, as they may be unable to visit the shops or see family due to quarantines. A phone call, a note under the door offering support or a letter in the mailbox is the best way to make contact with our older folk and vulnerable people who may be self-isolating. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone who might be struggling to get by. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. For more information on any of today's broadcasts, call us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-324-843. Come go with me to that land Freedom in that land Nothing but peace in that land So come go with me To that land where I'm bound They'll be singing in that land Voices ringing in that land We'll all be together everybody you're listening to the breakfast show here on faith fm we have come to question of the day time part of a three-part question that we've been answering over the last couple of days indeed all last right what's part of the, the question part of the question this one's the this one's the this one has the most detail to indeed. it but anyway let's here just we go. so the last part of our three-part question can the word human spirit 
be used in the Bible to describe more than the gift or the breath of life? Okay, this is a really good question. We talked about how that the human spirit is found in your nose. Bible says that, uh, Job chapter 27 and verse 3. There's a bunch of passages that talk about the spirit being breath. It comes from the Hebrew word ruach or the Greek word pneuma from which we have pneumatic. Anything that runs off air is pneumatic. The Bible says that as the body without the breath is dead, without the spirit is dead, um, so faith without works is dead also. And so when we lose the breath of life, it's the spark of life that comes from God, then we are dead. And so the bunch of verses we could look at, Genesis 2.7, Ecclesiastes 12.7, Psalms 104.29, uh, Acts 7.59, Ezekiel 21.7, 1 Samuel 30 verse 12, etc., um, the Isaiah 45, 42 verse 5 that detail that. Then you have the Spirit in the context of rational analysis, understanding, and self-awareness. Um, and as the seat of the will or the capacity for self-rule. So for those, you'd go to Psalms 77 verse 6, Job 32 verse 8, 1 Corinthians 2, 11, uh, Job 32 verse 18, Ezra 1 verse 1 and 5. If you'd like a copy of this Bible study, then please uh, just... Send us, send us uh, some, send us your details to uh, 1-800-324-843, and I can send through for you uh, what I've prepared here. Okay, the Bible also talks about how the spirit, how our human spirit, as the rational part of our of our thought process, experiences emotions such as anger or rage, uh, grief or bitterness of spirit. The Bible says anguish of spirit, uh, which can refer to depression. Um, and so, yeah, the term spirit identifies us really as complex creatures whose inner being is characterized by the dynamic interaction of reason, volition, and emotions. Kind of wrote this down to uh, prepare it for today. It goes even further because the Bible talks about having a long spirit, and having a long spirit is to be patient. Um, or having a high spirit means to be proud, a haughty spirit, um, or to have the spirit of jealousy or the spirit of wisdom or the spirit of the world. And so these really refer to the way our mind is working and, the, and, and our character uh, in particular. And, of course, the Bible talks about you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit is talking about God being at work in our character. What is important is this. In none of these passages, is there any reference at any point to the Spirit being a conscious entity outside of the person? It is an integral part of the person that dies when the person dies, and it comes to an end when the person uh, comes to an end, and it is returned when the person comes back to life. And so when you are resurrected, you are resurrected with the character that you left this world with. And that's an important thing when we stop and think about the kind of character that we have. In the resurrection, do I want to have this character come back? Or do I want to have a character come back that has been you know, deeply affected by Jesus Christ and his converting, saving power? And so we should stop and think about the character that we have now and to make sure that our character is a character that we're happy to uh, to receive that does not mean that you know we are not flawed human beings, but it does relate to what our innermost thoughts and desires are as human beings. Okay, so 
the uh, biblical view of the human spirit is uh, the biblical view of the human spirit um, is totally incompatible with the modern definitions that are based on Eastern Greek dualism, where you have a spirit that is actually separate from you, that departs from you and comes back to you at the time of death. The spirit describes you as who you are. And the primary definition for that, of course, is that it is the breath of life. So yes, it is a very, very deep subject. There are a lot of verses that we could look up here. Proverbs 16, verse 18, Numbers 5, verse 30, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 21, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, uh, Philippians 4, 23, 2 Timothy 4, 22, uh, are some of those just as an example. Anyway, um, if I have stirred your thoughts on that one, do give us a call. We would love to hear from you, 1-800-324-843, or you can text us on 0491-064-669 with your details, with your email details, and I can send you through a copy of this Bible study. Right now, this is Amy Cherry with yours. Unholy, a speck in time and space. I am weak and unqualified. I fall so far short, so far short until I found your grace. Is like filthy rags I'm swayed by sin so easily Tainted with scars and weaknesses I fall so far short So far short Until I found your grace
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. That was Amy Cherry with yours here on Faith FM. We've come to the end of our show, which means that we are giving something away for free. We are indeed. First caller through. First caller through. We give us a call are right indeed. We'll be coming your way. What is it that you have got to give away today? We have got Planet Still in Rebellion by George Venderman. So it's a wonderful book that uh, talks about conflict and how much God loves us throughout all of it. Okay, so, there you go. Yeah. So Planet Still in Rebellion, if you would like to get a copy of that, then give us a call here right now. A couple of things to remember coming up this week, all kinds of exciting things on Saturday morning between 9.30 and 10.30. I will be here with Matt Parra. Matt Parra and myself will be doing small group interactive Bible study. We hope that you will join us and we hope that you will call up and be a part of the show. And, of course, starting on Sunday evening, we have The End. So go to theend.digital to get all the details on that. And that is a series of presentations by Sharissa Tarosian and myself in which we go through some of the major prophecies of the Bible, particularly looking at them in the context of what is happening in our world right now. A lot of people, you know, we've got the the uh, coronavirus floating around, a lot of people asking a lot of questions right now about, you know, okay, what is this? Uh, you know, is, is this the is this the time of the end? Is this the beginning of the uh, of the you know the seven last plagues, or is this the beginning of whatever it might be? Anyway, as we go through. Uh, your day, remember to talk faith, live faith, and act faith. You're going to grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel's guide, uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you.
not getting much done I begged you to leave But you did not believe In the work that you could do with me I want you to know That you're ready to go I set you apart Right from the start I need you to see That your strength comes from me I have given you all that you FM, bringing you the peace and joy of Jesus Christ. Praising my Savior 
Crazy.